Welcome to the show. My name is James Nielsen Watt, and in this show, we interview interesting, inspiring, and successful people so you can learn the secrets to success and can play the game of life, business, health, and happiness better. And the philosophy we take here is if I'm leveling up my game, you get to level up yours as well. So get ready to listen to some inspiring people who have figured out how to have success in all areas of life, health, happiness, wealth, business. We're gonna be interviewing them in this show so that you can learn the secrets to success that they share with practical advice that you can take and use today. So if you enjoy the show, please subscribe, please leave us a review, and please share it with your friends because if I can help you and you can help others, then we can help more people together and we can all level up our game together. My guest today is the founder and CEO of Hint Inc., best known for its award-winning Hint Water, the leading unsweetened flavored water. She's been named one of InStyle's Badass 50, Fast Company's Most Creative People in Business, Fortune's Most Powerful Women Entrepreneurs, Fortune's Most Innovative Women in Food and Drink, and EY Entrepreneur of the Year for Northern California. The Huffington Post listed her as one of the six disruptors in business alongside Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg. Kara has successfully navigated the world of large companies and startups in many industries, including media, tech, and consumer products. In addition, she is an active speaker and writer and hosts the podcast, The Kara Golden Show, where she interviews founders, entrepreneurs, and other disruptors across various industries. Welcome to the show, Kara. I'm super excited to have you on. Uh, we had some great chats pre-show, and I, I said, look, we need to get started on this because there's, there's so much gold that's happening. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Excited to be here. Can you give us a little bit of a background on you? I know that you've not just been in kind of the, the the water space, if you will. You've done some other things as well. Tell our audience a bit more about you know what got you to where you are now and, and some of the stuff that you're working on. Yeah. So I'm I'm currently the founder and CEO of this product that is not available yet in New Zealand, hopefully one day soon. But I started this company just over 16 years ago now to get myself off of diet sweeteners. And so I was a I was a diet coke addict. I was, you know, drinking it, not actually thinking that I was doing anything wrong or that I was causing any harm. I had not worked in the beverage industry. The only thing I knew about the beverage industry was that I was a consumer and it was it was really when I had taken a break from my role in tech where I had been a tech executive. Uh, I had run for a company called America Online, the e-commerce and direct-to-consumer space. And I was uh, there for seven years and and responsible for leading a a team uh, that created a billion dollars in revenue to America Online. And when I decided to take a break and Spend time with my kids. I had three kids under the age of four. Uh, that's when I really started, you know, paying attention to ingredients, really for them first. And then after I, I started kind of catching on to all these ingredients and all these tricks, even in the baby food market, that's when I started looking at my own stuff and and starting with my food and realizing that I didn't really want preservatives and. I wanted to really make sure that everything that I was putting in my, not just my kids' bodies, but also my own body and our house, frankly, was was just as good as I could in order to be healthy. And so 
I had really focused on the food that I was eating and realized that I was actually doing a pretty good job and also was exercising. I'd always heard, watch what you eat, not watch what you drink, but watch what you eat and also exercise. But it was at the moment when I had almost given up on some of the health issues that I was trying to solve um, around my weight. I'd gained a bunch of weight over the course of my pregnancies and also my energy levels. And I had terrible adult acne that I didn't even have as a teenager and never really connected the three of those things. And during this time that I was taking a break from my tech role, that's when I thought, I'm going to fix these problems. But after a while, I, I started realizing that it really wasn't so easy and that the decks were stacked against me, even though I had been considered successful and smart to actually figure out what I was putting into my body. And I mean, it was just a big science project. I felt like when I was reading the labels and, and kind of seeing, you know, what I was really consuming, it was hard. So one day I looked at my Diet Coke and I said, you know, maybe I should stop drinking that and start drinking plain water and see if anything happens. I don't think I, I doubted that anything would happen. And when I did make that change, that's when after two and a half weeks of just drinking water and, you know, eating right and, and also exercising, that's when I lost over 20 pounds, 24 pounds in two and a half weeks, uh, which was crazy. And, uh, and also my skin cleared up, my energy levels came back and I was stumped because why did that occur? I mean, I was drinking diet soda. Isn't diet supposed to be better for me? And I, you know, and sort of having this conversation with myself and my family members and sort of, you know, curious why this was occurring. And that's when I thought, you know, obviously I'm not going back to diet soda, but plain water is so darn boring and that's why I'm not drinking it. So I, I should start slicing a fruit and putting it in the water and maybe that will keep me on this path. So that's what I did. And then looked in a store that had just opened and a nicer kind of specialty store in San Francisco called Whole Foods. And if any place would have a product like this, I thought it was, you know, there. And instead I was faced with a lot of healthy perception, as I call it, versus healthy reality. And that for me was, you know, really, really concerning because again, I felt like as a smart individual, it wasn't enough to, you know, know exactly what I was buying, what I was putting into my body. And so, I don't know, I had this crazy idea while I was taking a break that maybe I should just go and launch this product because I had been making it in my kitchen and how hard could it be to launch a beverage company I call myself an accidental entrepreneur because I didn't even think of, I mean, a lot of people have said, did you always know you were going to be an entrepreneur? Did you always know that you were uh, going to launch a beverage company? Not at all. And, and I still, when I think about what we've built, which by the way, in the US is the largest non-alcoholic beverage in the country that doesn't have a relationship with Coke or Pepsi. You know, it really stemmed from fixing my own health, but then also 
knowing that I could help a lot of other people with my solution that I had created to this problem that I had. And, you know, kind of back to the original question that you asked that I think is is something that has stumped a lot of people is that I didn't come from the beverage industry, as I mentioned before. I came from tech. I'd started my career in journalism, but I'd always been curious. And I'd worked for, worked or indirectly worked for amazing founders, including uh, Ted Turner, who had developed CNN and not directly for Steve Jobs, but for people that had worked for Steve Jobs and and then at AOL, Steve K. So amazing entrepreneurs that were visionary entrepreneurs that saw a problem so clearly. But when I was there and working on, on their products, there were a ton of doubters there were, uh, you know, they were ahead of their time. All of the consistent threads that are really the story of Hint as well. And I'll just, I'll say one other thing and I'll stop right there. But the thing that I've seen in, in all entrepreneurs and all successful entrepreneurs and people that are, you know, the visionary entrepreneurs is that if they have a problem that they're looking for a solution and they can actually figure out the solution and they're curious people and they're willing to, you know, learn along the way and, and do a puzzle, as I say, without actually knowing what the picture looks like when you're doing the puzzle and just keep going at it. That's really the core instead of what I think a lot of people think is, you know, experience or, um, you know, maybe the right school or, you know, knowing the right people or the right type of funding. I, I think it's really about the curiosity and the and also the ability to build out a team that is also curious and is willing to work continually to improve versus thinking, okay, we're done and and that's it. And that is really the the most important thing in again, not just the beverage industry or the health industry, but really any industry. And, and mm. that's what we've done at Hint. You've said so many, I've got a page of notes here and I want to I <laughs> break a lot of this down because this here is, is kind of bringing a lot of things together for me. So let's start from where you, where you finished off there. I think that for me, uh, and I learned this from, from Tony Robbins and I try and apply it to, to what I'm doing every single day. It's this concept of, of, of what, why, and then how. And I think that a lot of people look at it like you talk about getting funding or this or that. And those are all ways to solve particular problems. And those are hows. But I think what a lot of people do is they say, um, you know, I want to create a beverage company. Uh, mm-hmm. So how do I get money? How do I do this? How do I do that? And you sort of fell into it because there was mm-hmm. a clear what I need to do this. I want to do this. And there was this very strong why behind it, which then meant that you, like you said, you, you, you became creative, you, you figured things out, you were looking at problems differently and looking for solutions, not this kind of, which I think most people do where they struggle as entrepreneurs. And I think that's maybe because they're not actually entrepreneurs, they're just wanting to be entrepreneurial. It's like this, I'm going to go and create a company and create a solution to a problem that I'm not connected to. I'm not you know, and inquisitive into it. I'm not, I'm not feeling it. And so there's this constant battle of I'm going to go and create. And I found that for me, like 
that Gary V taught me document, don't create, don't think I'm gonna make a video and then go and make a video, just document what I'm already doing. But I take it a step further with everything that I'm doing. I'm like, how am I training my team? Don't create trainings, go and document training. How am I Mm -hmm. uh, creating my business? Don't go and create solutions or create a problem and things like that. Create a business. What was my next idea? Like I I love existing. Yeah. I, I love the idea of getting into, for example, product businesses, but I know that it can't be go and create a product business mm-hmm. because it's the wrong end. I'm starting at I'm starting at the wrong place. And sometimes we fall into what is right. And you didn't plan to make a beverage company, but it was what, why, how everything kind of lined up. Can you speak to that a little bit? Because I know that you interview a lot of uh, entrepreneurs and successful yeah. people. I think that the thing that I've I've just uh again starts with curiosity uh but mm-hmm. also I'm always the person that is thinking about solutions to products I don't find in the market or problems. I'll see the problems but um you know have you ever seen for example when when people come to you and say, "Oh, we've got a problem." Like I anyone who's worked on my team, I've always said like that is the most annoying thing to say to somebody that we've got a problem versus actually taking a stab at trying to come up with what you should do, right? Even if you're wrong, you you know, actually take a stab at, you know, here's what I think we should do. What do you think? Right. And so me when my team does that, they go, it's not working. I'm like, why don't you try and figure it out? And then, right. Why don't, right. And, and I think that that is, and this applies if you're a parent as well. And, you know, it's, it's a skill set where you want people to go and try and figure out and take a stab at it because what that really does is it builds resilience, right. And it builds creativity, but yet, and maybe I got that from being the last of five kids and my parents were, you know, trying to manage the best they can with all my brothers and sisters. I don't know. But I think more than anything, that curiosity stems from or or, or leads into, I should say, exactly what you're talking about on, on developing, you know, the this kind of core skill set. But I think that the thing that I guess it just stumbling upon being an entrepreneur too is like Gary V says, I, you know, to your point, it, it's just that you just have to, you look at your journey and you try and figure out, I think, not only how can you engage your curiosity, but also how do you continue to learn along the way? Um, you know, it's, I was just giving this, this talk the other day on, on this topic that, when you graduate, you know, from high school or university, whatever it is, and you go out to go and find a, a, a role, right? You're told like, go get that first job or, you know, go figure it out, which it, what exactly you want to do. But no one tells you that, that once you're in the system, then you want to become a manager and then you want to become a director. And then you want to, you know, maybe you want to become a CEO, but Oftentimes, the higher you go, your job is to mentor and manage versus actually learn. And so the the challenge is, as you go up, no matter what industry it is, is that mentoring and managing is awesome, but truly the most unhappy people are the people that are sitting at the top, that they're, you know, 
signing timesheets or, you know, approving something, editing all day long versus actually learning themselves. And so I think that, that that's where we need to get out of that pattern as a society. And so I think that that's where I see entrepreneurs, that they've, they, they've decided to take a different train, right, in order to get to stay on their journey towards learning. And I totally agree with you. Um, on stuff that you know, Tony Robbins has talked about as well. That it really does start with your why, and then looking at how do you go and do it. Because that that's another thing to to actually come up with, or even the concept of I'm going to go be an entrepreneur. I mean, that still scares me to this day. Like just hearing that statement when other people say it, or for me to actually say, okay, I'm going to go start a company. Or in my case, I I just wrote a book like. That was one where, you know, I was like, a friend of mine said, oh, are you going to write a book? And I'm like, what? I, that's way too daunting. How would I do that? But what you do instead is figure out the steps. Because if you just start taking steps and, not, and you don't stay complacent, that's where I find that you find the best learnings along the way. That you're really, you're, you're not only learning about maybe an industry, but you're learning about what you're capable of. And when you continue to learn what you're capable of, and maybe at times when you have bad days and you'll continue to have those throughout life, no matter what level, and no matter how much your company is worth or you know whatever you do, success also at every single level has challenges along the way. And I think that when you look back on those most challenging times though, and times when you really kind of tested the system a little bit for yourself, you find what you're capable of. And so, so often people talk about entrepreneurs as like these resilient risk takers. And, and what I always see, the lens that I see when somebody says that is how many times have they failed? What challenges have they gone through? And what if they placed themselves into that has allowed them to actually go and take risks and be relatively okay with it. Well, I think Versus- risk is relative too, right? Like, you know, my my grandmother would say to me, you know, James, you know, don't get too successful because blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, when are you going to get a real job? Or you need to make sure that you're safe because this thing might happen. And I'm like, I'm so set and I'm so, as you said, curious and always looking and watching and learning that there isn't risk, so to speak. It might seem risky from your perspective because you might think, how does he do this? Like I, I I bought some investment properties and my grandmother said, well, you know, James, what if the housing market crashes? I said, well, the chance of that happening is extremely low. And even if it does, the way that it's set up, I can fund my way through for the next five years and the market will come back. And then in 10 right. years, my houses will have doubled. So it's not really a risk. And But she can't see that the she how- yeah. And because she doesn't know the how, she immediately says, therefore, it must be risky. It can't be done. And when I look at you or, or anybody that I interview, I look at it and immediately your brain wants to say, well, how do they do it? That's crazy. They must be taking huge risks. And you've just broken it down. It's like, no, I'm just going step by step. And because I kept going, stayed curious, I got to a point now I'm you know, up the mountain looking back and you're thinking, how'd they get up there? That's crazy. And you're just like, no, I just one foot in front of the other, staying curious, trying to solve problems and learn. 
And uh, I love yeah, it. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it's interesting. I just went back and looked at a video that that Steve Jobs did that really talks about, uh, you know, his famous statement is eventually you have to trust that eventually the dots will connect. And if you haven't seen that video, it's it's um, of his Stanford when he spoke to a group of uh, Stanford graduates. And it, it's pretty incredible. But really, the point is, is that you're going to feel times when you're in it where it is really challenging. I mean, maybe your grandmother, as you mentioned, said she's going to really fall into or or really magnify your own doubts. Like you're thinking, I don't know, maybe she's right. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy that I'm going and doing this and maybe it's not all going to work out. But when you go back and look at those most challenging times, then you think, well, they did kind of work out. And I didn't think initially they were going to work out, but they did sort of work out. And what's the worst that can happen is another thing that I always say too. I mean, something that, you know, when I wanted to do something as a kid and, and my parents didn't want me to do it, my dad would say, well, what's the worst that could happen? And so he made me think about, well, you know, I could hurt myself. I could fall down. I could go broke, wh- whatever it is. And if I couldn't imagine recovering from that, because I really thought that that was a long shot or that probably wouldn't happen because that doesn't usually happen, then you know, then I could go forward in some way. And, and I think that, look, family and friends and people that care about you are the worst, right? They're the worst whenever you're taking risks because they mean well, they don't want you to take any risks because what you are doing is just fine with them. I mean, when I was a tech executive, I was the youngest vice president at America Online. I was one of the few women at that level uh, I had had, like I mentioned before, three kids under the age of four. I had a nice house, you know, all, all of these things. Like people were like, what are you doing? Why, why are you doing this? Why are you going and becoming a beverage executive in an industry that you know nothing about? You're self-funding for the first couple of years. I mean, you know, they were coming at me from all angles. I had people in Silicon Valley who were offering to you know, invest in my company, angel investors. And I didn't want to take their money because I didn't want them talking to me about my company and wanting to, you know, say, how is it going? Did you get into the store? You know, because I wasn't sure. And I didn't want anybody to join my journey of risk until I was confident that it was really going to work. And that was the phase that I was in. And, but again, you know, when you have your own doubts and you have people who doubt you, it doesn't mean that they don't love you or like you, or it's just that they just can't see the vision, right? They can't see what you're seeing. And, and, and I think that that's why I, I just have such a huge appreciate appreciation for these visionary entrepreneurs. And when you look through history, I mean, I've, I'm very well read, but also, you know, for me, I've just always been so curious, like how did they, for example, Ted Turner, I mean, I happened to be in CNN in the early 90s, didn't work directly for Ted, but many, many layers down from from Ted. But I remember that he had this idea for this global news 24-hour-a-day station. And 
people, I mean, it was like 40% of the country of the US. He was not even global when I was at CNN. I mean, it was really the, just this idea. He's running around in a suit and cowboy boots. I mean, he looks somewhat crazy, right? He's walking around saying everybody needs to have news 24 hours a day all over the globe. And, and uh, there were a lot of people saying, you know, we've got news in the morning, news at six and news at 10, and every country has their own of this. So why do we really need a global news? But his role, and I watched it, I mean, over and over and over again, it was the same freaking message that came out of him. He's like, they need it because the world needs to know what's going on. The world needs to connect. And then ultimately, while I was there in the very, very early days while I was there, he learned that that somebody from a different country learned that their country was at war through CNN. I mean, which is crazy, right? And again, here's a visionary founder. The world had to catch up to what he was talking about and what the need was and what, you know, but he focused on the how. How do I get people to understand what I'm talking about? How do I take the steps? How do I go to cable operators all over the world and get them to, you know, adapt in this way? But there were so many doubters. And and that's why when you start to see adaption, when you start to see people picking up on it, and you know, the the visionary founders suddenly look brilliant, right? I mean, that they they got it, right? But I have such an appreciation because that's a hard space to be in. And frankly, a lonely space at times as well, where you're human, right? And so you hear people saying it, you hear people thinking that you're, you know, crazy, whatever. Um, but when you finally see the glory, when you finally see that you're getting traction, that's where it really, you know, gets exciting, I guess. I think for me, what I learned was uh, I, I started to understand the game, right? It's like if you're playing Monopoly and you think the purpose of Monopoly is to go around and collect $200. And then I'm telling you, well, you know, if you actually buy these houses or hotels or whatever, when people land there, they start paying your rent. And when, when you take that $200 and you go and buy the hotels, you make even more money when they land on there. They'll just start saying to you, yeah, but why would you do that? You're spending all your money. You should just keep going around and collecting $200 because that's their frame of reference. And so, of course, mm -hmm. when we're start, starting anything, we're surrounded by our peers, our regular people, and we're trying to step up. In New Zealand, we call it tall poppy syndrome. So in New Zealand, there's you don't raise your hand up and say, I'm good at anything because there'll be uh, everybody will tear you down. And that's what I appreciate about uh, America is that there, there is a lot less of that uh, compared to where I am. And so people can can step up and do things and say that I'm good and, and whatnot. But I think that the, the point I'm trying to make is that when we're trying to do anything different, there's always going to be people, people that have their best our best interests at heart, but I, I feel like people who have our best interests, like you said, are the worst because they they don't have our best interests at heart. They're not mm -hmm. supporting us to go after our dream. They're trying to keep us safe. And that can seem like it's helpful, but it can be a real cancer on you wanting to to achieve things, you wanting to feel fulfilled. And I think that when I when I learned the game and I realized that 
that doesn't make them bad people. Um, totally. You know, they're not they're not haters who are trolling me. They're just people with a perspective on life that doesn't match with mine, and they're going to do what they do. You know what I mean? Um, I'm not going to ask my toddler for advice around how to run the house because he just plays with Lego and is going to tell us to just play with Lego or go and eat lollies or whatever, right? Like he's not going to yeah. have the perspective. So I have to realize that I've got to find people who think differently. I got to surround myself with people who think differently. And I think that the only time for me when I really listen to what somebody else has to say is when it's somebody that I'm aspiring to be or progress mm-hmm. towards. Somebody doing what I want to do and I'm climbing the ladder behind them. I'm learning mm-hmm. and I'm listening to what they've tried that didn't work. And I looked at why it maybe didn't work. It doesn't mean that I'm going to 100% listen to everything they say because maybe there's opportunity there. But I'm going to listen to that person over mum, dad, neighbor, friend who is not of the industry, has no idea and has never stepped out and done more than gone to their job. They're wonderful people, but they haven't taken so-called risk. They haven't stepped up uh, in that way. And so often we listen to them because we love them and it holds us back. Yeah. And, and yeah, I've, I've no, I think, I think that that's so important. Look, I think there's a, there's a few other things based on what you just mentioned too, is that, you know, so often you're thinking about, okay, I need to go and develop the right product or service and, and maybe I need to price it correctly. And maybe I need to, um, you know, have the right color or the right labels. All of that is part of it. But what I also think about people so often forget is it, particularly when you're creating a new category or you know, you're a visionary and you've got this idea and you believe that there's other people out there, you've got to find those people. And sometimes that takes sometimes that takes a while. And that's why it, you know, it 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 really is is something that. I always laugh when entrepreneurs say, oh, I'm going to you know, start a company and two years, I'm going to flip it, right? Because you don't really know. You don't really know how long it's going to take when you're developing something new and, and when people are going to adapt to it or how long it's going to take for people to adapt to it. In the case of Hint, just as an example, I knew uh, that we were starting a you know unsweetened flavored water in a new category at this point. But uh, I started hearing from consumers that they loved the fact that they found this fruit and water product. One in particular, I remember is a gentleman was telling me that he uh, had this disease called type 2 diabetes. Now, 16 years ago, I had never heard of type 2 diabetes. It was about, in the US, it was about less than 2% of the population had this disease called type 2 diabetes. Today, 16 years later, 40 to 45% of the population has type 2 diabetes or pre-diabetes in the US. I'm not sure what it is globally, but it's it's not good. And yeah. so what I started to hear from him was that the product I had created, I didn't create it for diabetics, but he saw it as a tool to help him with his diabetes. And so it was at that moment that I started really understanding that I needed to find out more about that audience. I needed to find those people because maybe I could also help a lot of those people who are also suffering from this 
disease, but also they don't know about hint. And so how do I get to them? And so what we did was we started sampling at different events. Like we would, we went to a couple of hospitals and we reached out, figured out where there were nurses that were dealing with diabetes. We also went to fun runs that were about, you know, getting rid of diabetes and, and finding those tribes of people. Obviously we have a water, so it's a little bit easier to be able to join some of those events. But again, the, the point really was that it was steps along the way in order to bring these people in today. I mean, social media, when I hear that people have an idea for a company and they're, you know, trying to scale, I I think about these audiences and how do you find these people? And I think that so often there's pockets living on all different social platforms or podcasts or, or whatever it is where you start to bring these people into really what you're doing and, and sharing with them the tool that you've developed without even selling them. I mean, just finding that community that has their ears open to what you're talking about. And so that is like another thing that I think so often uh, that people just really miss along the way too, because that's why things take a long time. It's not necessarily that you can go and you know spend a lot more money and then you'll get lots of traction or hire you know, the person who has years and years of experience, it's really about understanding who your, you know, end customer is and figuring out what kind of, how do you solve problems for them? That's the most important. Yeah. And that leads me to, to how I kind of want to change the conversation here. I've got some interesting questions for you. Why, why did you not, or haven't yet sold out to Coke or Pepsi or all these companies, no doubt throwing crazy numbers your way to say, Hey, will buy your stuff because that's what Coke does, right? They just yeah, buy up. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I think that one benefit I've had in, in working at large companies, some of them small and then turning into large companies is actually seeing the way, I mean, to your point, how the game works, right? And, and I think it's really challenging when you're in a large company because especially if you're dealing with a public company where you know you've got shareholders, you've got a board of directors that taking risks and being innovative inside of these companies while they while there might be some that say yeah, we've got an innovation team and you know we're going to go take risks and do they it's really hard for them to act that way um because there's controls and they have to again, you know sell to Wall Street. And I think that what I've learned is that especially if you've got a large company that potentially could acquire your company and their name is on the door and what is their product, what is their service, it's really tough, right? It's tough for them um, to kind of embrace it in the right way that, and especially when you're a mission-driven company, you know, not to say that it wouldn't happen, um, but I think that what I've also seen over the years too is you've got older companies in many different categories. I mean, I'll, I'll pick on Kodak for a minute. So I am quite sure there were people at Kodak years ago who heard about digital photos, right? Digital you know, photography and the importance of it. And I'm sure people thought, who needs it? I mean, you just 
stick it in the back of the camera and, you know, take it to your local store to have it developed. And why do we need digital? Right. And, and so without innovation inside of these large companies, without somebody who can think differently, they become dinosaurs and they die. And right. Blockbuster. Died. And blockbuster and died. And you see it over and over again. And that's the advantage of age, frankly. Mm. You can gain all of this insight by reading and really understanding these industries, which, by the way, you, you also touched on this, that meeting and really understanding a lot of different industries as a founder, so often founders think that no matter what industry they're in, I mean, you're in the chiropractic industry, right? Maybe you think, okay, I got to watch and look at what everybody's doing and what are the, you do need to do that, but looking how things have worked in other industries, that's how you come back to your industry with innovation, right? You think about how they did it. I mean, for, for me, I remember when a company called Warby Parker that does, uh, that does glasses, uh, subscription glasses. And I remember when that came out, there were plenty of doubters saying, who needs this you know, product, blah, blah, blah. But I started really looking, thinking, I don't know. They really believe it. They're getting scale. They're getting traction. Let me look a little bit closer. And there were elements of that business that I sat there and looked at. I'd also been in direct-to-consumer for many, many years. So I had the luxury of looking in a lot of different categories, but the best innovation in every industry. And, and it really stems from where are people getting you know, their inspiration from? And I'm sure you know Steve Jobs um, got inspiration from a lot of different people. I interviewed uh, Frank Stevenson, who is probably known for being one of the best car designers in the world, developed the McLaren and the first BMW SUV and the Mini Cooper. And he looks at animals for his inspiration. And now I can't even, you know, look at a car anymore without, you know, shooting him an email saying, you know, if he was involved in it, which animal was this? Because I'm I'm trying to picture it, right? You find inspiration in lots of different places is the point. And that is how you become more, more and more innovative. But we'll see. I mean, we'll see where where hint goes and and uh and you know, more than anything, we want to we want to be an independent company that is uh, really focused on helping consumers get healthy. I I uh, think that if there's nothing that came good out of the pandemic, it's that that the the world is now focused on health. Everyone wants to stay healthy. Nobody wants this virus anymore. Nobody wants. You know, everybody wants it to go away and people are really focused on how do I keep myself healthy? How do I make sure that I'm doing all the right things to maintain health? And, and I think that, you know, just knowing sort of what happened with our company, uh, we tripled our direct to consumer business over the last 17 months. We grew over 50%, um, just by really focusing on the health aspect of what we can provide for consumers, that we are the tool to help people get healthy. And what's interesting, often the first step, you know, when you when you think about it, I mean, 
it's a daunting thing to people when they're trying to get healthy, whether that's losing weight or, you know, trying to control diabetes or change something else about themselves that they don't want anymore. And, and when they start to see that they can get progress just by drinking more water or drinking a product like Hint, they actually get this feeling that they can, right? There's hope. People have talked to me about how do you build a brand, right? You give people something that they aspire, that, that leads them to be able to uh, learn from, to be able to achieve from. I mean, that is really the, the key to building the right kind of brand. And when you do that, by the way, too, then you're, you're building something that goes far beyond for an acquirer to, to take somebody off the table, right? At that point, it's just, it's a very powerful thing, but it takes time to build that. What I see, and I, I made this the moment you started talking on our, on our show today, I made this note and we've kind of, I've gone down the page and then I'm coming back up it. And I think this is a great segue to kind of close off the episode. A lot of people get brand wrong. They try and create a brand when it's not the best uh, time, space or step to do it. They forget that they always, they, they have a brand no matter what. You are a brand, whether you're creating it, you're actively going and creating it or it's being created for you. I work with a lot of small practices and small businesses and they talk about a lot of branding stuff and it's not something that's necessarily going to give them what they're looking for because they're not at that stage yet. They're trying to build a mm-hmm. brand. I'm like, nobody knows you exist yet or you can't even solve problems yet. Let's do that first. But I think that the interesting thing that you you literally said, and I'd written this down, is that with the right message, with the right brand, your product is the catalyst of change for that person. And so while you have hint flavored water, what you've really got is a catalyst for people to start changing their lifestyle. You can't say to somebody, drink filtered water, no flavor because it needs to be natural, then go to do a bunch of exercise. This person's like, well, I drink, what do you guys have? Gallons, right? I drink a gallon of Coke a day. I'm kind of addicted to it. It makes me feel good inside because I don't feel good about other stuff. And you've got to understand their crutch and what you're really asking them to do. Telling a person like getting healthy is pretty straightforward. Don't eat crap and exercise. But that's hard to do. It's really hard when you're getting when you're getting rewarded for the actions that you're taking with it. There's always reasons why we do stuff, right? And as a health professional, I know that with my clients. It's like there is always a, a kickback, otherwise we wouldn't do it. I don't go and burn myself on the stove every day because that sucks. If it was some kind of, and not to get deep here, some kind of punishment tool to change the, my emotional state, then I might go and self-harm. But in the case of like, for example, eating, right? It's like, there's a reason why that person's doing that. So you can't just say, drink a bunch of, you know, perfect filtered, unflavored water, go natural, then exercise. There has to be a catalyst of change. And what I see with yours is this, this incredible brand about, like you've got a sunblock, right? Um, mm-hmm. that, I was, that I was seeing. And it's come from, you're wanting to help people be healthy. You're wanting, you're, mm-hmm. you're wanting to, to influence them. And what you've created is a, is a product that is, hey, don't drink Coke, drink this. And it's going to get you thinking about being healthy. You're going to start feeling different. The brand energy is about change and it creates this momentum for that person to shift. So I can hundred percent see how what you're doing is, is changing lives because it's giving people a, a, a place to go. Like, what I think is really, really key though, just something, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but no, that yeah. something that you just mentioned is what we don't do is we don't say, 
don't drink Coke or don't drink another drink and now drink us. Instead, what we do is we just say, try this. And then people say, oh, what is it? They turn around, they look at the labels. That's the, that's the number one thing that our consumer does is that they started looking at labels. Even before they came to Hint, they started looking at labels. So they go and look at the label. Okay, you passed the test. You don't have sweeteners in your product or you know, it doesn't have any sweeteners. I've never tried anything that has flavor without any sweeteners, so I'll give it a try. They then taste it and they realize that it tastes good. And then they realize after a while that they start drinking more and more of it, that they stop drinking the other stuff. And then suddenly something happens in their life for good that changes. And it and it's it's something that no matter how many diets they've been on, where they failed along the way. And and they won't tell you this that is frustrating. Maybe they're not entrepreneurs either, where they're used to failure. They're used to learning from you know, their challenging time. Instead, they've got too many failures and they've already given up even before they got to you. But they, they drink Hint and suddenly it, it is the first time that they know that they can right? Remember that time when you started being able to do something and you figured it out, you figured out the code and suddenly you're like, ah, this was it. I mean, that is the consumer journey for, for Hint. And when you are a brand that actually is solving a problem for somebody who has worked at it way before they got to you over and over and over again, they failed suddenly you've solved it, you've built this trust and it, right with that consumer. And, and again, this could be applied to many practices as you, as you were talking about. I mean, you know, service business, whatever. It's when you solve a problem that somebody has been through that they've failed at, that, that is such a powerful position. That is a position that it is very, even if they go and try other products, maybe try a different you know, service or practice, maybe one of your competitors that you worry about, they, they can come back to you, right? And because they remember what you did for them, right? You don't have to even remind them. You just stay the course and they know what you've done for them. And that is the, that's the power of the brand. And, and that's where you're allowed to, to go and you know, as we did launch a product to help solve another problem for them. Maybe it's sunscreen, maybe it's something else, but this is that an is, incredible. This is a credible example of knowing your customer uh, totally. extremely well and knowing what problem you're actually solving. The mm-hmm. problem you're solving is not making water taste nice, mm-hmm. right? That's not what this is. It's It's so much deeper than that. And when you understand your customer journey, you know, how they, you know, that they look at it, you know, that they know what not to do. They know don't drink a bunch of Coke. They probably know that if they're looking at labels of stuff, but they don't know what to do. And sometimes knowing and doing are very, very different. I know that I need to be healthy. Totally. Why aren't you doing it? There's many layers to that. And your understanding of your product means that you're able to actually influence people to go and use it and therefore experience benefit from it. And I think that's the, the key to 
obviously why you're so successful. And I think that we can all learn from that um, in, in so many ways. Um, I'm conscious of your time. I know that we're coming to the end here. Um, I want to ask you one last question. What's, what's the most valuable thing that you ever learned? You know, I think one of the most important things, most valuable things that I learned was really on, on my journey of building Hint is that not having all of the answers, not having, you know, the perfect experience is actually, that's where the curiosity comes into play. The innovation comes into play and, and it allows you to think differently and come up with the next big thing. And so it's, uh, it's counter to frankly, what we, what we teach in most schools as well, that you've got to have all the experience and that's what you know, allows you to grow. But when you look at where innovation comes from, that's not where innovation comes from. Innovation comes from somebody taking a stab, taking those steps, going on that journey to, and, and maybe they start it, maybe they're just scratching the surface, but they're actually putting in the hard work to go tackle something that is a problem um, that they have an idea for a solution for. And, and, and so that was really what I wanted to get out in my book as well, that, you know, I've, I've really, really looked and, and thought a lot about this in every single industry. And, and the key thing is, is really figuring out, you know, how do you go and find those innovation, that innovation and, and the solutions versus getting blocked by you know not having all the answers and and having the right experience. What I've I've written down is is uh, we're both on Instagram, right? I've written down uh, hashtag stay curious. I think that mm-hmm. that's what I can take from that is always stay curious and and be looking for innovation. And I, I love that. I love that. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely use that. Um, where can our audience connect with you online? Grab your book. Uh, stay following you. Yeah. So uh, the book is available globally at uh, on Amazon or Audible as well, and uh, as well as local bookstores. Sh- and it's called Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters. And then also I'm all over social media on every platform at Kara Golden uh, with an I. And I hope to hear from you and hope you get a chance to listen or read the book and, and let me know what you think. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah. Uh, it's been inspiring for me. And I, I know that's going to be inspiring for people to listen to this. So thank you so much. And I wish you all the best. Thank you. You too. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Everything shared will be in the description of the episode. So you can go and grab that. Now, if you enjoyed the show and you want to listen to more, please subscribe because every week we're releasing new episodes with inspiring people, successful people, so you can level up your game. So subscribe and also leave us a review. We'd love to hear feedback about the show and your thoughts and opinions there as well. Now, if you want to have more success, whether it's in your life, whether it's in your business, we run live trainings every single week where you can get access to me to coach you through everything from health, wealth, success, business, We're doing topics on all things that you need to live a better, more inspired and successful life. Live trainings every single week. Just visit jamesnielsenwatt.com forward slash live and you can get access to that now. There's also a ton of resources that you get for just listening to the show. All of that will be in the description. So if you are watching this on YouTube, check the description. If you're listening to this episode, check the description. We've got a load of resources there for you to have more success in your life, whether it's relationships, investing, or in business. 
I'll see you on the next episode. And as always, subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends because there's somebody else that needs to be hearing this and maybe you're their opportunity to help them level up their game.